0: My name is Vicky Childs, and I'm your host, and welcome to the show. Today we're going to talk about private investigations in the adoption search genre, and we're going to talk with a special guest, Norma Tillman, who will be joining us in a moment. In private investigations, we are often called upon to do adoption searches for birth mothers or for the children who were adopted, or, or fathers, birth fathers as well. And it's kind of a difficult area because you don't want to intrude on people's lives. You don't want to step on their toes and cause an uproar in people's lives who don't want to be contacted. And I've done a few of these over the years and have been very careful not to interrupt people's lives, at least not any more than that kind of that kind of uh, news brings to somebody's life. Um, One case in particular that I worked a few years ago involved a college student whose biological father was visiting Charleston, South Carolina, where I live, and looked me up, came to my office and said, I really want to find my biological daughter. I believe she's a college student here in Charleston. And he gave me her, her name, which was not the same last name as his, and said that he, had, he and her mother had divorced when she was very little. And he felt like she didn't know anything about him. So I had him write a letter to her. And then I delivered that letter to her after I found her and gave it to her And before I even got the words out of my mouth that somebody's looking for you, she said, I have a father somewhere, don't I? And I said, yes. And she never knew this. Her mother had never told her this. But it was something that she had felt, something that she uh, had missing in her life and knew that, that her connection to the man she grew up with that she thought was her father was not the same as it should have been. So she wasn't totally surprised. She read the letter and eventually contacted him on her own. Um, which I told him I would, I would deliver that letter, but I would not you know, tell him where she was unless she wanted to, to take that step, and she did. And it turned out to be a very happy reunion, a very successful reunion. But today, Norma Tillman is going to join us, and Norma is one of the country's preeminent experts on finding missing persons. Her background includes 11 years of working with law enforcement, two years of insurance fraud investigations, and over 20 years of private investigations. She's the author of several books, including Finding Almost Anyone Anywhere, The Man with the Turquoise Eyes, and Other True Stories of Private Eyes, Search for Missing Persons, and The Adoption Searcher's Handbook. And Norma is an expert in locating people, especially in adoption, in adoption searches. And I'm happy to have her on the show today. Welcome, Norma. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I also want to tell our listeners... If they want to call in with any questions today, I'll get you that number in just a minute and you can call in a little bit later and, and ask Norma questions or ask me questions. So Norma, tell us a little bit about how you got started in adoption searches and, and what you've been able to do over the years, the successes that you had.
1: Well, my background included 11 years with law enforcement. so. I had for eleven years I had been tracking down criminals and they don't give correct information so they're very difficult to find but because I'd worked on so many criminals and worked on the ten most wanted I thought I could find anyone and the first birth mother that contacted me to ask if I could find her daughter well it didn't it never occurred to me I couldn't find her I said of course I can find her and um, it turned out that the adoption search was more difficult to me than searching for the ten most wanted. I found there are so many barriers and so many obstacles, and that the information was not public and everything was sealed. But I also learned there is a way to find information, but it takes some digging. And I dug in the courthouse and at the library, and and I. Then soon, I, I understood the adoption process and I understood what records I could have access to. And with that information, I was able to track down adoptees, birth parents, and, and other members of the biological family. But it was not easy. It was very time-consuming and, um, and very difficult. Like I said, there were just so many barriers in the way. But once I understood the process and understood the law... I was still able to come up with a name to
0: look for. And I want to talk about 90. those. I want to talk about those yes. legal issues in the in the law. I do want to give our listeners a number: six four six six five two two zero seven one six four six six five two two zero seven one. If you ca- want to call in and have questions for Norma or for me, um, Norma, the the legal issues involved in these searches uh, searches. I know that there are uh, court closed documents in some states They're, the courts don't allow those records to be opened and there are other obstacles that are in, a way, in the way I want people to understand that you and I as licensed private investigators work legally and ethically and work through the process in such a way that we're not violating laws and stepping on people's toes and talk briefly about those, those legal obstacles and, and how you've managed to work over the years and get through those
1: Well, even though I didn't have access to the state-sealed records, I found that the court has other records that are are information you can look up, such as the docket appearance book. You can look and see who went to court and why they went to court. If it says adoption, then it shows a minute book, and you can go to the minute book, and, and you can find out that the baby in this particular case was born on a certain date. Well, by practice of elimination and by tracking down all the adoptions that occurred in that year, I was still able to eliminate those it couldn't be and make a list of those it might be. And then tracking down those families and verifying the child's date of birth, one way or the other, you could still track down the information without having to lie, steal, or cheat. I just... I just can't tell a pretext. On when I when I'm working on a case, a pretext to me is a lie, and I have to tell the truth. I have to say this is who I am. This is what I'm working on, and um, and not break the law, but still get the information in a way that's legal.
0: Right, and and I think that's very important. And people need to understand that we're not magicians, and we can't just pull things out of a hat. We actually work within the 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 legal system the best way we can to get the information that we can. And now, when I the first time I did one of these searches was before Google. It was before we could do these Internet searches. And it was before we had access to the kind of information we have access to now. It's easier for folks who are looking for somebody, if they have a name, just to put it in Google and go. And But there, there are still obstacles there, obviously, if you have a, hundreds and hundreds of people with the same name or similar name. But if somebody comes to you and they, let's say it's a birth mother who 20 years ago gave up a child for adoption and they know the date of birth of that child and where that child was born, but they have no idea who adopted that child and and how to even start looking for that child. So what kind of advice do you give in a case like that?
1: Of course, 20 years ago when we didn't have all the information in computers, I would physically go to the courthouse and I would physically look up all of the adoptions that occurred in that year. And the adoptions would say whether they were male or female. So if I eliminated all the boy babies and then I jotted down all the girl babies and then I verified their dates of birth, well, that's how I would eliminate everybody and come up with the right one. the one that had the right date of birth. And um, so that, that was the old way to do it. Today, today you still have to go to the courthouse or you still have to go look at microfilm at the archives library. There's no way to get into a sealed record unless you have a court order. So any member of a biological family or the adoptee themselves can petition the court in many states and have those records open, especially if there is a life and death situation, a serious medical issue, a court order in the court of jurisdiction, which means where the adoption took place. So you, if you understand the process and you understand the laws, there is a way to get the information if you have to have it.
0: Okay, so having a, having a judge then allow a court record to be open, especially in a medical emergency situation, uh, is one way to go. And that would mean hiring, a, hiring an attorney, right, and getting that attorney to to well, go through the also, court.
1: Well, I know I know of a case where a man went straight to the judge into his chambers. He asked if he could talk to the judge privately. And he told him his situation, and the judge sent for his records within 15 minutes that man did not have to pay anybody he did not have an attorney but not all courts would allow this every jurisdiction is different and I think every circumstance is different but if it is a very serious life and death situation if someone needs a bone marrow transplant and they need to find another biological member of the family to donate that marrow a judge is not going to turn down somebody for a reason like that but not all cases, of the, judges, the, the judge is not going to open up to anybody that comes and asks. They're going to have to have a really good reason for that judge to open the records. That's in the states that have sealed records without access. There are a few states that have open records. And there are a few states that have open records with conditions, which mean like New Jersey says prior to 1940, If you were born prior to 1940, you can have your record open. That means, you know, those born after 1940 are going to have to wait. They can't have their record open. And so each state has a different law. Only six states, I believe, now have open records where either the adoptee or a member of the biological family can simply write a written request and the state will open those records. They will charge a fee in most cases. But in Tennessee, for $120, the state will open the record with a written request only. And there are some exceptions, of course, which says if they have a non-contact veto, which means don't contact me, if that is in the file, then, then the state will not release the information. But if there's not a no-contact veto in the file, nobody has said, don't contact me, the, either party may petition the state and get
0: the information. Okay, the so if that non, no contact veto is in there, that is a biological parent who made the determination at birth or shortly after that they did not want to be contacted under any circumstances. Is that what you're talking about?
1: Well, in the state of Tennessee, once they had the law in place, People didn't know to have a no-contact veto 20 years ago. But once the law was in place, then after that, a parent or a child, either one, could put the no-contact veto and say, please Mm -hmm. don't contact me. So it was not necessarily done at birth. It could be done any time after the law took effect.
0: Okay, so even the child could do it too, and as the child oh, grows up. Oh,
1: either party that doesn't want any Now, could a, uh, a
0: could an adoptive parent do that? Could could the parent make that decision? No. Okay, so the child would make the that decision for themselves.
1: Cannot don't contact the child, but of course the child has to be of age right. in whatever the age of majority, whether it be 18 or 21. Um, so the child would have to be of age before they could even ask for that information.
0: Okay, Norma, we're or, going to take a quick...
1: They, excuse me, if they were younger, the, the adoptive parents could ask on their behalf if right. they want to.
0: Right. Yes. We're, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I also want to talk about registries and lists that people can go to to put their name on for, for searches. And we'll be right back on the Zeus Radio Network. ...child's PI Answer Show... Our guest today is Norma Tillman, an adoption search specialist who lives up in Tennessee. And, Norma, before the break, we were talking about uh, adoption searches, obviously, and and court records and that kind of thing. I also wanted to to give our phone number again, 646-652-2071, for anybody that wants to call in with questions. I want to talk for a minute about registries, and I, I know that in some states there are State-supported registries where people can go, if I'm a child who's been adopted, I can go and put my name on that registry and give statistical information about myself so that if my biological parent is looking for me, they can also go into that registry and give information about themselves, and the two can be reunited that way. What other uh, avenues are available? You have a a great website called LocateAnyoneAnywhere.com, and you also have lists there, don't you?
1: yes i do i offer that service on my on my website also the state registries and the uh, private registries there are many many different types of registries and i recommend people sign up on every one they can uh, the, the one i have two sisters who were looking for each other one was in i believe north dakota and one was in uh, minnesota the sister, one of the sisters had placed an ad on my registry or placed a message on our message board saying, I'm looking for my adopted sister. That that sister had just bought a computer and had gotten on the Internet the very first day that she had her first computer, and there was her sister looking for her. So it can happen. Registries really do work. And another thing that works that I wanted to mention uh, when we were talking about the sealed records, is that each person involved in an adoption search can write a letter and waive their right to confidentiality and have that letter placed in the file of the adoptee. And if the adoptee inquires, then the state can give them that letter because the rights to confidentiality were waived. And and vice versa. If the adoptee wants to write a letter and says, If anybody's looking for me, I'm waiving my confidentiality rights. Please give them my information. And,
0: and I think that's a great siblings. thing to know for people who, who might be searching for yes. a biological sibling or a, a parent or a parent searching for a child is t- is to have that information in there so that it is available and anybody who starts looking can go to the court And also, I guess, put a letter in, the court can say, well, we have a letter here. Yeah, they can also just write
1: to the state post-adoption service. Whichever state office keeps the adoption records, they can write them and request that they stick that in the sealed adoption record file.
0: Are private adoptions any different? They still have to go through the court system. In South Carolina, it goes through the family court. And it still has to go through that court system. So even in a private adoption yes they can still do that
1: uh... yes anybody can do that but unless someone inquires nobody's gonna ever do anything with the letter so there has to be an inquiry before the letter will be given to someone
0: and i think that's why yes. the registries and the message boards are, are pretty important they do work. yes
1: i had the a client
0: board... I, i'm sorry i, I was going to say i had a client a few years ago who had actually put his name on a registry looking for his birth mother and and a woman responded to it and told him who she was and that she thought she was his mother. He contacted me and actually had me do some background work and find out whatever I could about the woman and get more information for him so he could be better informed. And I provided all that to him, and then he did contact her, and it was a successful reunion. But, and I know all, all reunions are not happy, but... The ones that are, I think, are, are, are way more in number than the ones that aren't.
1: Yes, and I'm glad you told that about that particular case because I think a successful reunion is one in which both parties already know something about the other party. They don't go in comb, They go in knowing my birth mother is remarried and has three kids or knowing the adoptee is married children they already know a little something about them, and they feel a lot more at ease, a lot more comfortable with that information. So when I do make contact with someone, I, I always say, is there anything you want me to ask them for you? Is there anything you want to know first before you meet them or before you have any contact? And I think that just helps, helps to make the contact much better when they finally do meet.
0: I think so too. I think a person that's informed has a lot better chance of having a successful reunion, yes. and and make that choice in a and again, in a more you know, informed we, way.
1: You and I both have acted as intermediaries on behalf of other people, and I think a, a successful reunion. Most reunions are more successful if an intermediary with experience is used because people who've never done this before they may not know the right thing to say they may not be comfortable they may be too emotional whereas someone like us is a third party and we're not involved we're not emotional and we do become non-threatening and that's one of the keys to having a a successful reunion or to approach someone is to be very non-threatening.
0: I, th- I think you're right and, and it is a very emotional time for a person who's trying to do that search and, and some people don't realize that when they do that search they, they also have to prepare for rejection because the person may not want to have anything to do with them.
1: Well I tell my clients, anybody that wants me to work on an adoption search or anybody who contacts me. I say, number one, don't have any unrealistic expectations. That's the most important thing is sometimes they might fantasize that their father's the president or that, you know, their mother's a big movie star or something. I said, please don't do that. Just go in with an open mind because I know that you live with the unknown. And what you need is information about yourself, your identity, your heredity, your medical history with that in mind it's like don't have any other expectations that's the most you want to hope for if you can become friends with this total stranger that's a that's a plus but don't go in expecting a relationship and from what i see most adoptees have that attitude i just want information about myself i'm not trying to replace my adoptive parents i just want to know who i am who i look like and in the history of my, you know, family, I want to know something about myself because now I have children, and I, I would like to pass it on and tell them, you know, this is where we came from or who we look like. And, and I, just, I understand that adoptees need to know information about their own identity. I think it is vital. And um, so the adoption search is not necessarily for a relationship in every case.
0: Yeah, it could be for medical information or for just just a sit-down to say, oh, well, it's great talking to you, and now I know why I do certain things I do is because I
1: mm-hmm. inherited yeah, that from you. I, I believe the truth sets them free. The void that they have before they do a search is gone. They have their answers now, and knowing the truth will set them free, and they don't have to deal with the unknown anymore. Yeah, In the case of a... And in the case of a birth mother, I think she's searching for peace of mind to know that she made the right decision that was in the best interest of her child. She's not necessarily searching for a relationship either. And adopted parents, shouldn't see the a birth parent. They have a, a need to know that, that the child is okay and had a great life. They want that to assure us that their child, if they made the best decision, the decision for their
0: child. Yeah, and I'm sure that it, that for years that person thinks about that every day and wonders about that every day. And having that peace of mind yes. is very comforting. Even if, even if the person the child doesn't want to have a relationship with them, just to know. But
1: again, that, the truth sets free. Right, you know? right. Because, because then they don't have unrealistic expectations, and and mm-hmm. that's just you know I all of the adoption cases that I've worked. I would say maybe two or three didn't didn't turn out to be what they hoped for, but but it was okay because we had that really good understanding up front not to have unrealistic expectations. What we find may not be what you hoped for, but it's better than the unknown.
0: Yes, I, I agree with you. Um, again, I want to give your website information. Locate dot com for for your message board. And then the states that have their own message boards, whether it's in South Carolina's Department of Social Services, I think the adoptions go through there. Sure,
1: I think all you have to do is Google. uh, Yeah, I think so, too, for each state. state.
0: And then you can go to that state and register. And And then you can also Google private registries and get on those as well, like you mentioned, get on as many as you can. Yes,
1: because some people may... But they only look at one or two. They may not look at all of them, and they may not know there's a state registry. So, those who are out there searching will search every board they can find. They will look on every one of them. Some people spend a lifetime and never find the person they're looking for, and that's you know that's so sad. That's why a registry can help because they don't have enough information to do a search, but they do know certain information: a date of birth, a place of birth. You know, if they only have that much information, that's enough to find each other on a registry.
0: Okay. Um, I want to talk a little bit, too, about your book, Adoption Searcher's Handbook, and what, okay. that, what that could offer the listener if, if they're trying to locate a, a birth child or a birth mother or father. How does that help them?
1: Okay, for one thing, the uh, birth parent relinquishes a child. They sign a surrender. They don't go to court in most cases. they They never know what happens to their child or who got their child unless it was an open adoption. So they live with the unknown. Once they sign that piece of paper, they don't know what the process is all about or where to even begin looking for a record. So this book explains the adoption process, what records exist, where to find those records and it also has the state laws because you have to have a good understanding of what that state says you can or cannot do so don't even begin an adoption search unless you understand the law and understand the process that's what this book is about this book also has sample letters so like if you want to send a waiver of confidentiality you know you may not know how to write that letter there's a sample in the book of how to write for every single record you might want to request. Book has it's full of good information, and it's what I recommend before people begin an adoption searches. Know what you've got to look for.
0: Okay, and that book is available at your online bookstore, normatillman.com, and also LocateAnyoneAnywhere.com. We're going to take a break, Norma. When we come back, we'll talk some more about. Uh, birth parents and 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 adoptive parents and uh, go into that a little bit deeper vicki childs and our guest today is norma tillman you can call in with questions at 646-652-2071. Norma, I wanted to, to go in a little bit to adoptive parents. I, when I've been contacted in the past by children who wanted to find birth parents, I've always asked them the question, do you have a name, and what do your adoptive parents tell you? What can they tell you and what will they tell you about your birth mother in particular, and and do they have any information? And sometimes they will tell me that their birth parents won't help them a bit, that they won't participate in it. They don't want them to contact the birth parents. And I think that's incredibly hard for that child to accept and, and makes it much harder to do the search. Have you had experiences well, I agree. with
1: that? Oh, yeah, I agree completely with what you just said. Adopted parents were not informed at the time of the adoption that adoptees someday are going to ask questions and they're going, to, they need to know their identity. No one tells them that at the time of the adoption. And unfortunately, they don't understand. But way back in the 70s, a study committee for the American, American Pediatric Association revealed that adoptees and others, anyone needs to know their identity. It's vital to human development. So with that in mind, the study committee of the American Academy of Pediatrics should have spread the word through all the pediatricians who should in turn have told adoptive parents adoptees are going to need their identity. This is just normal. They they will have questions and they'll need answers. But adoptive parents were not plant and we're not prepared in many cases. And unfortunately, they don't understand why the adoptee wanting to know about their identity. Don't they love us? We good parents, you know, they feel very threatened by that.
0: And I think at the root of that is is basic fear. They fear, they have a fear that the child will gravitate toward the biological parent and and leave them behind after all they've done for them kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And even the parents, even the adoptive parents in cases I've been involved with who knew knew the name of the birth mother or birth father or knew where that person went to high school or knew um, a good bit of information, they don't want to give it to the child sometimes because they don't want to make it easy for them to find these people that, wow. they, might, that they might gravitate to. Yes, and
1: unfortunately, the social workers who were assigned to the case probably knew this but didn't tell them and the adoption agency didn't tell them the pediatrician didn't tell them no one told adoptive parents someday your child is going to need to know their identity but don't feel threatened by it they're not searching for someone to replace you they just are curious and and that's normal to be curious about your own identity
0: and i think on the opposite end of the spectrum are open adoptions. Talk a little bit about what constitution open adoption and and how the parties have to agree and how open are they or are there varying degrees of openness and talk about your experience with those. Okay
1: adoptions most private agencies offer open adoptions as well as private adoptions. There is a fee involved and adoptive parents are they pay dearly to adopt a child and in most cases they're given non-identifying information which they may or may not ever give to that child but most adoptive parents have that information It may not give a name but it will give a lot of information about the uh, birth parents such as they were were college students and the father was six feet tall the mother was uh, from a family who ran the local bakery i mean it's got bits and pieces of information that can certainly identify the, the biological parents later on in life, but many adoptive parents won't give the child that non-identifying information, but the child can sometimes still request that from either the agency or the state. An open adoption means that the birth parent, the mother, can choose the family that she wants to raise her child. She has a choice. Maybe the agency will have ten families that she may make a list here's what I want my My religion is important to me, so I want my child to be raised by a certain religion parents, so then that agency will narrow down and give the give them a list of parents of that religion, and she may also say, "I want the adoptive parents to be college educated. I want them to come from a family of- lo- a lot of children. So she can put in what kind of family she wants to raise her child, and more than likely it will be very similar to the biological family. Okay, then the birth mother can choose, this is the family I want, once the agency gives her the different files and lets her have a choice. This is the family I want to meet. They will bring in that family and let that family meet the birth mother, and the birth mother meet the family. They both know who each other are. That's... That adoptive family can be at the hospital when the child is born and can actually take the child home from the hospital if it's an open adoption and all the papers are signed and everybody agrees. They also allow the birth parent to continue to have contact with the child. They can visit. They can meet the birth parent anytime. You know, they can set their own rules and regulations. Here's what we want. And so, again, it's an agreed, open adoption where everybody knows who everybody is, and that child gets to know their biological parent while being raised by their adopted parent. And it's a great thing. I think it's wonderful, and I think it's healthy for everybody involved because then no one is threatened by the other person. It's not the unknown. They all have the information, and they just I just think it's a healthy situation for everyone. I think it's great.
0: Yeah, I th- I think in a lot of cases that I've seen, those work pretty well. I had a, a client who came to me way back in the later 80s, who and she she was looking for her father who was a soldier in Vietnam. Her mother was Vietnamese, and she came to me. She had his name. Which the last name was Smith. So good Lord have mercy. There were, uh-huh. <laughs> it was a kind of a nightmare at first, but I was able to narrow it down and eventually found him, and connected the two of them. And it it turned out okay. I mean, she's continued to had, have limited uh, contact with him. But then in in later years, she actually had a child uh, and wasn't married and wanted to give that child up for adoption. So I was with her when the child was born. I was with her when she met the adoptive parents who she chose and agreed to in a private adoption. And I was with her when they came and, and took the child and brought the child back six months later for a final adoption hearing. And the it's it continued to be open but with, with limitations. And then when that child, who's now 20, 19 or 20, ended up contacting her birth mother, then I was there for that reunion, too. And it was, it was an interesting full circle. Now, it hasn't turned out to be the greatest reunion in the world, but it was an interesting kind of full circle thing to watch. And yes, it is. And to, to, have, to have that ability, to have that openness, I would think would be a little scary for all the parties involved. And sometimes it works well, and sometimes there's too much intrusion, and you just have to be able to draw the line, I suppose.
1: I think so. I think you just have to have a really good understanding up front of what each party expects out of the other. You know, like once a month I'd like, or I'll post a blog on the internet with pictures of the baby and, and post her progress as, as she grows up so that all the members of the biological family can get on there. They can log on and see the blog. and. And almost like a weekly visit with the child, anytime they feel like it, they can have the pictures developed and make a scrapbook if they want to. But the adoptive parents can have a blog and keep the biological parents informed without ever having any contact or visits. You know, it's like this is another way they can do it. Right. Uh, It's just a a matter of each individual party's uh, how comfortable they are with with each family so you know it's an individual choice whatever they want to do but all they need to do is just have a good understanding and everything will be fine
0: yeah and I, and I think it depends on the personalities of the of the people involved and sure. to how well it goes yeah. also but I think the, the what we have now today with blogs with websites where you can watch somebody's progress from a distance and not be personally involved but be be notified yeah. and be aware and I think it makes a more comfortable situation for everybody involved. And,
1: I do too. And I think it gives a lot of peace of mind. Yeah, yeah I the do child is healthy, and the child's growing, and the child's learning. And these adoptive parents are so kind to share the information.
0: And have I you...
1: think it, it's really great for everybody.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You mentioned open adoptions, and we talked about private agencies as well. There, there are some private agencies that also deal with with overseas or out of country adoptions and are they more difficult are they going to be more difficult for the, the children to find their birth parents in these other countries?
1: Well of course the agency will have the records and in order for it to be legal everything will have to go through a court somewhere. Usually it will be the court of jurisdiction is wherever that adoptive well excuse me wherever that adopted family resides at the time of the adoption so if they move to another city or state later on don't look there look where they live the year that the adoption took place that's where the, it's going through those courts but there should be a a good paper trail available and also many countries such as Korea or Vietnam or or Japan they have search and support groups that you can find online And they help each other. If someone's searching that was born in Japan, but they're now in the United States, there are people they can contact that will help them. So there's online help, and, and again, the agency that handled the adoption is the key to it. If, If you have to, you can get a court order to petition that agency to open the records. So I think there will be a good paper trail, even though it may lead to other countries. Adoptions in other countries take a lot longer. They may have to wait two years, and they're very expensive. The adoptive family may have to make several trips to Russia or several trips to Poland before they can finalize that adoption. So, so going to another country is very, very expensive, and adoption agencies may charge $30,000, $50,000 for their services also. And if we have time, I don't know if we're going to have time to talk about this. Back in the 40s and 50s, there was a black market baby selling racket. I do, I 30, do want
0: to talk about that. I'm up against a break yeah. though, but when we come back, let's do. Okay. Let's talk about that some more. This is the Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talking. We'll be right back. And w- welcome back, Norma. We were talking about private adoptions and how much they can cost, and especially if they involve foreign countries.
1: Yes. Well, uh, I wanted to touch on something else. Back in the 30s, right after the Depression, many parents who they, they were just homeless, they had no money, and they, they left their children on doorsteps. They put them in a basket or in a box and leave them on a the doorstep And one man came to me whose name was Vince Hill. He was left on a church pew in New York City, and I believe it was 1933. And at that time, there was something called a New York Foundling Hospital where all those abandoned babies were taken. They had no information, no birth certificate. They didn't know the date of birth. They didn't know anything about the babies other than the day they found them. So they assigned their birth date as the day they were found. Those children were, ma- you know, most of them were not even adopted. They were sent to live with foster families. Vince was one of those children. He was found at St. Paul's Catholic Church, I believe, on East 73rd Street. And he has spent his entire lifetime trying to search for his identity. And of course, there's no way, there's no information unless some member of the biological family could be listening today or might hear of this story no one Vince has no chance of finding his biological family so many children were orphaned and sent on an orphan train the orphan train was something that went all the way across the country and it made stops at little towns and little places uh, along the way where people showed up at the train station And the children were taken off the train, and the farmers would pick the biggest boys or the the oldest children so they could work them on their farms. And so there were hundreds of thousands of children that just went on the orphan train, and they just took them wherever they got off the train. Families would take them. So that was before adoptions were regulated, and there were no trails to these children. It's very, very sad.
0: So now, if that happened, of course, the state would take possession of that child and...
1: and there would be a decide, trail. Yeah, yes. there would be a trail. There and would be they would a decide to today, do but before there were any regulations, anything went, you know, it's like there were no legal processes and, and children were just given away. They were just given away to any family that wanted them. And in many cases, the children were abused. It was really sad. And if, uh, if, was, if,
0: if any of these people are out there, though, and they happen to be listening and they went to your... Locate anyone anywhere. Yeah. com website, and they put some information out on the message board. Yeah, uh, then they might could connect with other people who
1: yes, who older children it. might remember what their names were, you know, and right. what the family's name was, and where they came from. So they have a bit of information and say, you know, I'm looking for the child's family from South Carolina. Um, Anyone with any information—it's almost like a genealogical search now because it's been so many years, and many of the people might be deceased now.
0: Mm-hmm. So we're talking, we were talking—we were talking about uh, adoptions from other countries, and I know in some countries they have—they have, they have um, these places where children are dropped off and they're kept in these orphanages, mm-hmm. and really aren't given much love and affection or, con, or human right. contact. Yeah. And how, how nurse for 50 kids. Right, and they, they may never know the name of the birth mother or, or parent or, or relative who dropped them off. How would somebody even begin in a case like that to start searching? I know they have to go through well, the agency, but what else? Yes,
1: in some countries like, I believe, China and maybe Poland, the, the law of that country says they can only keep one child. So if, if a family has more than one child, they have to give them to an orphanage. And, and in some cases, the orphanages will have records of who the parents were at the time they were dropped off. But unfortunately, this is the, the law of that country, you know, that they can't keep but one child. And in many cases, uh, like in China, they give away the girl babies because the boy babies are more valuable. They, can, they, they keep boys and give away girls. It's very sad, but over in Poland, they may have um, a place where the children are raised where there's 50 cribs in a bed, and one lady to tend to all those children. Those children sit and rock themselves. Those children never get out of that bed, or they're never held. They're never bonded with anybody. They're basically surviving, and that's it. They give them a bottle, and when they can get to them, they might change a diaper, so it's very sad conditions that those children are raised in until they find a the family well it is, it is it is incredibly them. sad,
0: and I would think it very difficult if that child later wanted to find uh, a birth parent I, yeah uh, again, I mean,
1: the agency would be the key to it, whether or not they kept records or whether or not records were available to them but um in, in the United States, an agency will have a social worker that is assigned to each case, and that social worker goes out and, and checks on the baby. The, the adoption is not final for a year, and if the social worker thinks the baby's not healthy, the social worker can take the baby from the family, or if the, the living conditions are not what they should be, that social worker can take that baby back. So ad- adoptions are not always final for a year, and, and the homes are checked, and again, we have regulations here. We may not have regulations in other countries that protect the, the best interest of the child. So again, there may not be records, but there might be records. Yeah, There's no
0: set rules. So if the adoption happened, if the child came from another country, and the adoption would have been finalized in this country in our courts, is that correct?
1: More than likely, yes. In order for them to get a birth certificate, you know, how is this child going to be legally uh, a resident in the United States or a citizen of the United States without a court procedure or without something to make it legal? So we've, there has to be a trail. We,
0: we've only got a couple of minutes, Norma. If there's one thing you could tell the listeners who might be interested in an adoption search or know somebody who might be interested in adoption search, what would that one thing be? other than, of course, get the adoption searcher's handbook, which I'm sure would be uh, extremely valuable to them. What else can you think of?
1: Uh, Again, they just need to search the state law. They they need to know what that law will or will not allow them to do, because in some cases the, the state's going to allow them to just send in a written request and get the information. So they may not need to do a search. They just need to understand the law, and then after that, they need to understand the adoption process that took place in that state. And I always say that the the, uh, search begins wherever the trail ended, so depending on what year the adoption started, that might be where you have to begin the search.
0: Okay, and I want to remind our audience that if they're interested in any of your books, including the adoption searchers handbook, they can go to Norma Tillman, and that's two L's, T-I-L-L-M-A-N dot com, or locate anyone anywhere dot com and get your book, go on your message board, learn how to to put themselves on registries and learn more information about adoption searches, whether they are the child or the birth parent, or maybe they are looking for a sibling. and and want to get more information. So those are great resources, and I thank you so, so much for being on our show today. If you have any questions for Norma, you can email her at normatillman.com. You can also email me at com. and we appreciate you listening today. Thanks for joining us, Norma. Thanks for having me. This is the Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talk. I'll see you next Thursday.